Hello, this is Yuri Captain speaking, Joel from the Friends and Flayers podcast. We're going to be doing something a little different this time. We'll be doing a roundtable discussion about all of Season 1. We have our friend Turner joining us tonight. He'll be leading the discussion and giving his reactions from the viewer perspective. We also have some teases for Season 2. Take it away, Turner. Sure thing, guys. Uh, we start around a campfire, like many good adventures, with, uh, with our original crew, Orlando Nash, a half-elf bard, Flan, a half-elf warlock, Gorham, half-orc barbarian, Aldrin, dragonborn druid, and Marhalt, human paladin. You guys want to speak up as far as who was who? Hi, I'm Tony. I was Marhalt. Uh, I'm Joel, and I played Gorham. I'm Zach, and I played Orlando. Orlando Nash. And I am Alex, the DM, a.k.a. the storyteller, a.k.a. the moderator, a.k.a. Um, the dad. All right. Well, our crew found themselves around this uh, this campfire, having been hired to, uh, to escort uh, Talbot Turner, their employer, uh, to... Uh, were you guys going from the, to the festival from the very beginning? Yes. We were okay, going... So- Straight you guys to media. Yeah, you're media res. Okay. So you guys uh you guys are hanging out around the campfire and uh at some point realize your boss has gone missing. And I think it really sets the tone uh for the entire adventure that step one was we're gonna let our employer who we've been hired to guard wander off into the woods on his own. <laughs> Blunder number one. <laughs> So uh, you guys may We never said we were good guards. We just got hired as them. <laughs> it is it is your first job. It is your first real employment out of uh, adventuring college. Uh, so you guys head <laughs> off uh, into the forest uh, and find uh, Talbot uh, looking at uh, a dead deer and inspecting uh, the deer. Um, was I can't remember. Was he crying about the deer? What was what was Talbot's reaction to the deer? Uh, he was uh, trying to figure out trying to figure out why he was dead. I feel like whenever we met up with Turner, he wasn't like crying. He was more of just like shocked, like like it was a surreal moment for him that he found this otherwise healthy deer, but its neck was broken. So and, I think uh, it was more confusion than it was like, oh, Bambi's dead. After uh, after some investigation, you guys managed to figure out that the uh, the neck was broken and it looked like it had been dropped from some height. Um, you guys go back uh, and eat said deer um, for your dinner uh, and then uh, pack up and head out. Um, uh, oh, you come along a horseless, a horseless carriage. Um, that's right. The part of the... Um, I don't want to say steampunk because of the reaction that promotes, but you guys do have uh, some world building elements with um, some magical contrivances uh, where no one does like steampunk. No Um, one actually does. I I like the fashion. (laughs) You would. I do. I think steampunk's really cool. I'm not ashamed. I think it's awesome. Well, then you should watch Briscoe County Jr., because yes. it's got some steampunk yes. in it. Yes. It's like a and good I'm wild, wild west. Really yeah. amazed that you haven't seen that. I've show. never even heard um, of it. Did you just say a good wild wild west, implying that the other one is bad? The original television show was great. Yeah, the original television the show. Will, was good. The Will Smith the movie. Wild Wild West, Blue Chunks. The theme song wow. was pitch perfect. Like it's great. 
Wild Wild um, West, Jim West, Desperado, Rough Rider. You don't want I, none of this. Yeah, yeah, brother on us. Even know about, no, no. <laughs> so this, uh, this is where you guys, at which point, have your first encounter with Callum Cartwright. Um, we don't like where, that guy, right? Uh, or, yeah, you guys, there was a, there's a long, long-standing animosity with Callum Cartwright that I'm not really sure what triggered it either. Um, he just seemed like a dick right off the bat. <laughs> it was well, pretty immediate. Look at his name. Callum. I'm Callum. I'm better than you. Uh, Orlando impersonates an officer, minor illusioning a badge. Uh, to deceive <laughs> yeah, the trader and inspect his broken down cart, you discover some effigies of goblins, um, which that ties to the purpose of the festival, right? Uh, Against some additional world building, there was at one point the land was dominated by goblins and were overthrown, and the festival uh, in Berkton over- celebrates that uh, overthrow. Yes, correct. All right, so you guys I, I go. I say with forty-two percent certainty that that is correct. You, you do inspect the effigies, uh, but not. And this is this is the greatest uh, synopsis. Uh, Flan sets the effigies on fire with an eldritch blast. They explode, but not much happens, um, <laughs> other than the explosion. Um, so you guys travel further down the road, giving Callum a lift because his uh, magical carriage was broken down, and you guys arrive at Utlight Farm. Um, a, a rest stop on the, on the path to uh, to the festival, um, where you guys meet up with the the, the family. Um, we meet everybody's favorite NPC, a young half orc girl uh, named Tara. Would you guys tell me a little bit about Tara? She was terrible. She was precocious. She was smart, and Zach couldn't stand her. <laughs> couldn't stand her. She was a smug asshole. To she, be fair. The only, so the only reason he didn't like her was because she saw through his bullshit. She saw my fake unicorn for what it was and, and made a big stink about it. You know, as part of his introduction to Tara, uh, Orlando used minor illusion to make a horse look like a unicorn uh, as an attempt to entertainment, which is a perfectly natural and bardish thing to do when seeing a small child. Uh, who promptly called him out on his shit, um, uh, which, uh, you know, again, I think I'm going to side with Orlando on this one. It was really kind of uncalled for. Thank you. I mean, Tara- her, her character is about intelligence. She's a pure intelligence character, and she doesn't want to be patronized. She's she's getting patronized, so she called him out. Yeah, her charisma's low, but that's just her. Speaking she's of low charisma... Child. Uh, Tara recognizes Marholt from her book. Uh, she's a little <laughs> starstruck. And uh, with, this is the first uh, example, I think, the, there, that the adventures of Marholt exist. Marholt wasn't even aware that the adventures of Marholt existed, right? That is correct. So uh, you guys unload. Orlando hears a beautiful voice singing from the cart in Plunitarian. Uh, Reggie and Gorham hear a conversation going on from the first cart uh, between an orc and a human guard, uh, talking about something coming into the farm and killing his sheep. Gorm and Reggie make their way over. Uh, Marholt and Orlando head over to the Plunitarian cart uh, and make a grand entrance. Uh, there's a woman with the uh, at the cart that Orlando recognizes. Her name is Tessa. 
Orlando, uh, you remember her from peering through a keyhole and hearing a conversation. Standing in the hall with him was Tessa. She's surprised to see Orlando, though she tries to play it cool. Um, she pulls Orlando in close and tells him she wants to talk in private. The, began, the band begins to play another song, and Orlando joins in. Um, or Zach, or, I'm sorry, Orlando, you want to give us a little bit of background of the relationship between Tessa and Orlando? Uh, so I don't think I was actually familiar with Tessa until she mentioned that she was looking for uh, my former professor. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said some awful things about him and things that I knew not to be true. So I naturally took a defensive stance and uh, started calling her mean names. <laughs> and she said she was looking for a book, right? Yes. I don't think that did that come up? That early? Mm -hmm. Not yet. No, we'll not, get yet. To that not yet. No. After, not yet. Okay. After Orlando's uh, first solo adventure of the campaign. Um, <laughs> yes. The, uh, the orc and the guard are arguing about uh, finding the monster killing a sheep. Gorham comes running up and volunteers. Um, Gorham uh, is probably the most civically minded half-orc barbarian that, we, that we've seen to date. Sounds right. Sounds right. Uh, Listen, he, I have an intelligence of 12, which for barbarians isn't really, you know, no, uh, a known trait for. So I, I wanted to play him, you know, a little against type of barbarians. No, I think you did a great job. And there, there are a couple of moments where um, he like Gorham brings just a certain pragmatism to certain situations um, that it's like, yeah, 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 I get it. At, but at the same time, he is a sucker for pie, as we'll find out yes. later in the adventure. <laughs> um, he, uh, he, to be fair. To be, to fair. be fair, he's a sucker for pie. Uh, something yeah, comes but... in the middle of the night and tries to carry off the sheep. Um, you guys find the sheep in the morning with the next broken, um, which is a callback, obviously, to your pal, the deer. Uh, Tara thinks it's a griffin. Um, she has a trap to set up, but it needs fish. Um, her father says he thinks the pond where the fish are are haunted. Um, the dad's name is Tusk. Tusk pays Gorham 25 gold to track and kill the monsters killing the sheep. Gorham goes to check the sheep pen for other tracks. Aldrin continues to unload the cart. Um, Gorham goes to tell the rest of it, which I think this may be the last time we ever see Aldrin. Um, Gorham up. goes... For a little bit and like a few other adventures, but yeah. Uh, Gorham goes to tell the rest of the group about the monster hunt. Everyone agrees to go except for Flan. Uh, with that, you head to the pasture. It's a muddy mess. Um, Orlando and Aldrin see that a large tree has a large bite taken out of it. The opening in the tree leads directly to a stone tower into the distance. Uh, it's about 40 feet tall, appears to be a leftover from the goblin rain. The door is missing. It appears to be holding up. Marhalt enters, looking for footprints in the dirt and dust. Orlando heads off on his first solo adventure to the fish pond to go get some fish for Tara's trap. Um, and and really, the fish pond is way more exciting. The first, the tower it just ends up being empty. Aldrin finds a small lockbox. Uh, Marhalt finds two vials of healing potions. Fourth floor is full of bird cages, a desk, and a shelf with cubby holes labeled in goblinoid. Gorham hears a voice but can't tell where it's coming from. Um, 
Orlando makes it to the pond and sees a black rectangle jutting out three feet above the water in the middle of the pond. The pond is 50 foot wide and the water is very murky and hard to see through. Did you have a fishing pole at this point, Zach? I can't remember exactly even if you were equipped to go fishing or if it was just, we're going to come up with creative ways to fish. Uh, There's no fishing pole in the whole party. I wish (laughs) that I could say I had a plan of action at this point. but I didn't. When you get there, uh, Orlando notices something off about the pond. He smells salt water. He throws a branch into the pond. It splashes, and as it sinks, bubbles begin to rise, and the water settles. A head peeks out of the water. It looks like a fish. Orlando presents the creature with food rations, uh, humanoid shape, purple skin, brown tunic, and around its neck, a necklace with a rectangular brown rock. It gurgle yells at Orlando, and combat, combat begins. Orlando... <laughs> Tries to calm the situation with his Plunitarian dance of peace. I tried. And as he does, two more fish people emerge from the water. See, it it turns out, I did some research on this, and the Plunitarian dance of peace is actually very similar to the fish people dance of war. (laughs) That's a great reason. It's Mm -hmm. that one shoulder shimmy that you threw in that just (laughs) changed everything. If I would have stuck with two shimmies, I'd have been fine. But three? Right. That's yeah. aggression. <laughs> yep. It also is, kind of sets the pattern for Orlando's, you know, step one seems to be in every action. Orlando is, okay, de-escalate. De-escalate now. Mm-hmm. So yes. It's, Whereas with Gorham, it's always escalate. So it's always irritating when, when Gorham's ready to fight. And then Orlando is over there going, no, let's work it out. Let's dance. Let's party. <laughs> and it's generally pretty successful at it, not to give anything away for the rest of the recap, but and it just, you get this picture of Gorham just kind of huffing and like pacing in the background while legitimately <laughs> Orlando is just talking him out of every situation. Oh, Orlando creates a diversion and runs. So even though he, while he managed to disescalate, um, he discretion is the better part of valor with the fish people. Um, back at the cat tower, Gorham tells Mar- Marhalt and Aldrin about the voices. Marhalt looks out the window and sees Tessa and some minstrel players outside the tower. Uh, normally, not a threatening party as they when you oh my god we're we're being advanced upon by a group of minstrel players, but things do go bad. Uh, you guys uh, suggest you lay a trap for them. The party waits for Tessa and her gang enter the tower. When they do, Aldrin creates an earthquake and traps them on the second floor. After thoroughly roughing her up, Tessa and her gang surrender. Uh, She tells Orlando she grew up in the same orphanage. Oh, here we go. Here's where we get uh, Tessa's backstory. Uh, When Orlando left that he stole a book for his mentor and Tessa wants to steal it for hers. Um, Orlando returns dancing his dance of peace. Uh, Tessa asks him for the book. Orlando says he doesn't know anything about a book. Uh, the Whispers Academy treated Orlando poorly, and he has tried to bury those memories. Um, Zach, you want to shine any light on uh, Orlando's uh, repression issues? Um, so when I was born... I'm just kidding. Um, just... Uh, I think a lot of that can be followed in our uh, world building episodes, but the main gist of it is I was training to be a spy. I found out some stuff to, uh, that the spy academy was doing. 
my professor took me away to a circus. I was raised in a circus. This is all news to me. <laughs> what? No, it's because oh, you haven't read my backstory. You haven't read my 17 page backstory. Um, or listen to his backstory intro from season one. <laughs> you guys listen to this? I listen to it all the time. He's like 50% of our listens. If you, if you catch Orlando Nash's one man show on Broadway, you would know all of this. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's off Broadway. <laughs> Way if I'm honest, I was actually thinking about re-listening to our season one again because oh. I just like listening to us. Narcissist. But anyway. I didn't say I like listening to me. I said I like listening to us. Oh, we know we met. We knew, we know you met you though. It's okay. <laughs> you're, you're you're on Twitter. We understand. Uh, yes, the, I'm the, on Twitter. So Orlando says he left alone before his men and his mentor left him before uh, the story's all an invent, invention of her mentor Bayless. Uh, Tessa leaves and says she won't be seeing the party. Won't be seeing her again. Reggie tells Gorham that the top floor of the tower was the mail room. Marhalt stops uh, spots a trapdoor in the ceiling. Um, he tries to get through the trap door with Gorham given a boost. He isn't strong enough. Gorham pushes him through the door. Uh, on the roof, Marholt finds a rotting sheep carpet and an unfinished nest. Uh, Tara was correct. First time of many. Um, mm -hmm. It was a griffin. Uh, Aldrin uh, figures it out by the feathers. The parties go back to the pond to get fish for Tara's trap. Um, on the way, Orlando spins a tale of how terrible the creatures in the pond were. Uh, when the party arrives at the pond, Orlando tries to throw branches into the water to bring the fish people back to the surface, and nothing happens. Um, Aldrin tastes the water, which seems like, again, is a, is a fast move. Our druids aren't immune to poison, right? That's just, I'm going to drink this brackish water because I'm a druid? Uh, I just think a uh, sponge likes to live dangerously. I was... <laughs> uh, Gorham volunteers to stick his head in the murky water to see if he can spot the creatures. It doesn't go well. Mm -hmm. And it seems Gorham is drowning himself. Yeah. Um, Aldrin, <laughs> Aldrin decides to go into the water by the black stone. Uh, there is a portal coming out of it. There are three mud huts built uh, by the stone. And the third hut, there are three bodies that appear to be chewed up uh, bloated corpses. Uh, three goblin bodies. Um, and this is uh, kind of an important point because this is the first goblins that have been seen in the land for for how long guys 150 years yeah something like that is that what we said mm -hmm. so it's a uh, it's definitely a dnd csi dun 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 moment um yes old aldrin uh, orlando checks out the portal figures out that it's a teleportation portal aldrin pulls out the lock box he found in the tower orlando tries to open the box with lock picks gorham then just uses his strength to open it um, inside the box is a ruby ring, three platinum pieces, and some pieces of paper with writing on it you guys can't read. Uh, and here's probably uh, one of my first favorite Orlando Nash moments. Orlando uses vicious mockery to catch some fish <laughs> for our trap like a griffin. Oh, man. Good times. Yes. That is, that is a classic moment from our podcast. <clears throat> yeah, the... Um, the uh, the fishing through psychic damage is a is a, is a nice touch, um, which brings you guys back 
uh, with the fish. Um, Aldrin decides to do some fishing on his own, feeling insulted by Orlando's genius idea for fishing. Leave it to a druid to get upset about creative bardic thinking. <laughs> uh, the rest of us head back to the farm. Uh, when you get back to the farm, the Plunitarian cart is gone. Uh, you see the first cart has a giant pumpkin on it. Was anything supposed to happen with the giant pumpkin, Alex, or was that just um, set dressing? That was set dressing. I wasn't really I wasn't really going to do anything with the giant pumpkin. They were going to the fair, so I thought, like, oh, what's at the fair? This. And then they could have met up with him if they decided not to jump through um, something later in the season. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers uh, yet, Alex. No spoilers. <laughs> Uh, the uh, I, well, I just wanted to know how much, how many missed giant pumpkin opportunities there were. Um, you guys head over to the barn. You find Tara's Breaking Bad laboratory set up, uh, and Talbot, your boss, they're working on the trap for the Griffin. Uh, Orlando presents the fish to Tara, who is still unimpressed with Orlando. <laughs> um, she wants to trap it humanely. Gorham's not happy about the idea of doing anything humanely. Yep. Um, Tara suspects it's a baby griffin and wants to study it. Um, Gorham unhappy with the idea of keeping the griffin alive. And that's kind of because Gorham doesn't normally come across as bloodthirsty, but you are pretty anti-live griffin. As I explained, and this is, this is Gorham's logic, he was paid to kill it, not to capture it. He didn't want to go back on his word and not kill it. That was the whole thing. That's what he signed up to do. Kill this griffin for me. You get 25 gold pieces. All right, fine. That wasn't the deal. I want to kill this thing. <laughs> like, I see That's what you mean. It, the, the, it was clearly outlined in the terms and conditions of his, his monster right, contract. Like, yeah, in Gorham's brain, if we don't kill it, we don't get the 25 gold pieces. And he wanted the gold pieces, so he wanted to kill the griffin. On the plus, in order to make him happy, Tara pays him 50 gold pieces to override her father's contract, which makes you question how much walking around money this 12-year-old has. <laughs> yeah. uh, she decides to make three sticky traps to get more griffin. How were how big were the sticky traps? I mean, does she have did she have just like some carpets laying around? Um my idea with the sticky traps is they were more like a um like a pad or like a like like a sheet of fabric just covered in glue. But she made the glue herself. Okay. Uh, so, and this is, I think the first inkling that we get that, yeah, we knew Tara was a smart ass from the way that she treated Orlando, but this is her first, oh my God, this little girl's actually kind of a genius. Um, while she's working, Marhalt helps, uh, she gets a little bit, uh, flustered with her due to her weird fantasy book hero crush on Marhalt. Orlando writes a song, Gorham reads about Griffin's and learns a valuable lesson. No, he learns they usually like mountains and being mostly in the plains, they shouldn't be in the area. Mm -hmm. um, that you guys figure out where to put the traps to the, the griffin um, so you can redirect it and trap it with a net. Uh, Becca and Tara knit you guys a net. Night closes in. Gorham sees, sees shapes flying in. A small figure makes its way downward, lands on the trap, and gets stuck and begins screaming. Orlando, as always the de-escalator, feeds him some fish, and Marhalt, uh, Marhalt calms him down with his hands. That's a Suspicious. And Marhold calms him down with his hand. And he was like stroking him. <laughs> ah, hey. not, not any better. Not any better. 
Nope. <laughs> uh, Marlando Mar feeds him some fish. Marl calms him down with his hand and finds it has a collar numbered six. Uh, two other griffins fly off to the south in the same direction as the festival. Uh, Tusk, uh, Tara's fa Tara's father, uh, now, again, in a, in a movement of really just questionable parenting, talks to us and wants you to take Kara with you to Berkton uh, so the, uh, to find a patron to put her way through the Magic Academy. You guys, talk us through that interaction and what was going through your heads on that idea. I think that was mainly me, right? <laughs> Anything yeah. that involved bettering Tara was mainly Yeah. <laughs> so basically, my whole thing was I I'm a half orc. The dad's an orc. We got to take care of one another. I got to help this little girl because the dad and I got along together. He's asking that we give her a better life by finding her a patron to take her through the magic academy. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we say yes to that? <laughs> well, <laughs> Who knew that, that was going to be so hard? That's <laughs> yeah. begins your second hard. It wouldn't have been hard had we just been able to just focus on point A to point B. But we go from point A to point That's true. G, back to point B, all the way to point Z. You know. And we never go back to point A. It's no. me shaking my head, guys. I don't know if you can see it in the camera, but yes, that's what you guys do. Oh, yes, I, I can see it. <laughs> oh, I can hear it. I hear the rattle. <laughs> because adventurers and childcare professional professionals uh, were were definitely on the uh, on the uh, the resume when you guys were signing up for caravan guards. Of course, um, you guys take off from the farm, taking Rando, twelve year old, and the Griffin with you, um, who she has made best friends with and is riding at this point. Um, after a couple of days travel, you see a justice approaching. Uh, he's a tall human in full plate armor with a red plume. His name is Turn Remrock, Justice of Law of Assun, and he is here to arrest you. More specifically, he has beef with Orlando. He pulls out a wanted poster and it has Orlando on it. Wanted it for impersonating a justice, Callum. Mm -hmm. uh, you could your, your buddy Callum had turned you, you in. Get in line. Orlando uh, talks him out of the charges. Uh, Orlando, you want to uh, touch on uh, how you talked him down? Um, he wanted to arrest me for impersonating an officer. And I think I said, show me the warrant or like the wanted poster. And he had actually drawn one. Mm -hmm. And I said, holy shit, who drew this? This is amazing. And it turned out he drew it. Uh, because if history has taught me anything, it is simply support artistic endeavors. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Hitler. Yeah, I was just... <laughs> wow. If only Hitler had been supported in his paintings, World War II mm. would not have happened. That's not true. Don't listen I'm, to me. <laughs> I, who's to say how it all would have, you know, shaken out? But uh, I was just blown away and I complimented him on his artistic abilities and told him that his skills are wasted being a cop. And that this was actually a, a pre-planned plot point, right, Alex? Like you had it noted oh, yeah. in this NPC's backstory. If he 
got compliments on his artwork, that would be a way mm-hmm. for the for the, the players to to wiggle out of this. Yes, that that literally was in my notes. That's why I brought up the fact that he drew it himself and he was proud of it. They caught on to the um, subtle uh, notes I was making, you know, the bludgeoning notes. Well, at least at least Zach caught on to it. I was too busy laughing because <laughs> this is by far my favorite Alex NPC voice <laughs> of the whole campaign. I practiced like in the shower. Practice in the shower, bud. Well, that makes it weird, but you want to give us a little of the NPC voice uh, for the for oh, everybody Oh, God. It's been so long. Hello, I am Tom Wimok. <laughs> Justice of Osun. That's about all I got. For the record, in my head, he looks like the priest from The Princess Bride. The entire oh, that's what I was, that's, that's which, which I know he's probably for. a little bit, a little bit younger, but uh, yeah. So uh, to wrap it up, See, Orlando pins the entire crime on Tessa and makes sure that Turn puts it in his final report. See, for me, the the image that popped in my head was Michael Pat Palin as. Uh, Pontius Pilate from Life of Brian. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, surprise. It made you think of Monty Python. Monty Python, that's right. Wow. Yeah. Biggest Dickus? <laughs> what is so funny about the name Biggest Dickus? <laughs> anyway, that's what it reminded me of. And i that's why I was dying, because I just kept seeing that. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Uh, after uh, Orlando implicates Tessa in uh, in a misdemeanor crime, uh, you guys head further south from Oatlight Farm off to Berkton. Uh, all of a sudden, Talbot has uh, a bro- all of a sudden Talbot has a brother in Crater Lake who yes. owns an inn. Uh, it had survived during <laughs> your boss decides to announce a uh, unplanned side trip to see his brother at Crater Lake. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, and uh, the crater was created by Velo's Comet, discovered by Velo, who discovered magic in a soon. Um, you, they say Velo is the first person that figured out magic. He's a lowly farmer that was too bright for his lot in life. Uh, he toiled, toiled away at his labors until one day he saw a strange sight in the sky. It was a comet. Nothing like that was ever seen before. It empowered him with some mighty energy that he used to cast the first ever spell. Was it ever discussed what that first spell was? I mean, I know what it was, but y- y'all don't. Well, can you tell us? <laughs> Maybe it has a plot point for the grand scheme of things. Um... It was Firebolt. I just like the idea powerful. that it would be something completely weird and pointless, like perhaps detect magic. Like it was this weird circular logic that he's like, what the hell uh, is going on? I was thinking uh, it was fairy fire. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe it was like, or, or it was like prison digitation. He just shot sparks out of his fingers or something. <laughs> Simulacrum. Thought uh, it, <laughs> No, it's like a ninth level spell. It was like wish or something. <laughs> maybe maybe it was to go to the bathroom. Uh, magic, at, magic takes that After uh, after a year, he was the world's first wizard. We he started the academy in Neptune. People say they say that a comet shows up every couple hundred of years or so. Some think it's an ill omen. You guys enter Crater Lake uh, and notice there are no adults in town. Um, Flan tries to talk to the children of the town. Uh, in doing so. There really should be quotes around talk. 
Um, because <laughs> that really Flynn fun. tries to Flynn tries to talk to the children of the town is really underselling these interactions. <laughs> um, he pulls a dagger on a kid who runs. Flan gives chase. Um, the kid tells him during the day the adults leave and return at night. Most of the kids are preteens and are working to keep the town running while the adults are away. Talbit is going to go to the Brothers Inn, uh, which is Turner's townhouse, no relation. Uh, a dive bar looking from the outside with the shingle hanging by one link. Two 15-year-olds run out um, and are never seen again. Um, Talbut. Uh, looks exactly like Talbit, uh, except he's wearing a blue shirt with it. What kind of, what color shirt was Talbit wearing? Maybe did I skip that? Like, is there a chromatic thing that I missed out on? Yeah. Okay. So Talbit is green. Talbot is blue. There's um, five. Guys... There's five brothers in total. Oh and there's God. a there's a sister with uh, the letter Y in there, but I didn't. <laughs> and we've only met three. Yeah. Yes, technically. It's all the vowels. Maybe, yes, maybe I remember this discussion. Maybe what we do is to go back in time and kill their mother. Wow. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. Wait, we can time travel? <laughs> yeah. We're in space. What can't we do? We think we're in space. Well, I don't know where we are, but, you know. Is this, is this you guys go back in time and this is how we find out Marholt is secretly Talbot's father? Is that where you find <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm my, own, I'm my own grandfather. Oh, God. There you go. Uh, the, you guys go. Um, uh, Talbot doesn't know where the adults are. He does say that there's been more gold coming into town. Mayor died. No one got elected. The adults leave and come back and spend their money. Talbot is upset because no one in the town is there to help him fix up his inn. Um, the children are tending to the farm uh, so they can bring him food so he can serve to the adults. There's a gang in town that runs the town when the adults are gone. The constable is feeling overwhelmed by the gang running crazy in town. Talbot says the gang only seems to steal food and nothing of real value. You guys leave the inn and hear a girl scream. You guys want to um, head to the. You guys want to know what that gang was doing? Yes, because I, I I wanted to follow that thread. But we just got like totally distracted by everything else. I don't think we got distracted. I think we moved forward. (laughs) Yeah, I would say this was actually a pretty efficient outing for you guys. Um, You know, from start to finish, you there was a pretty straight line from, okay, where the hell are all the adults and Flan's borderline child? Well, no, child abuse to uh, child murder. He doesn't, uh, a, he doesn't kill a kid. No, no. I That's why it, I said borderline child murder. I think it is definitely child abuse as Flan was playing WWF with them, but they didn't know. <laughs> I didn't realize throughout all of this that Flan was a half-elf because he kept himself covered up the entire time. Um, and that was like, as I read through the notes, as somebody who listened in from uh, when uh, to get caught up, had no idea that that dude was a half elf. Um, I, I just seemed, I was like, oh, that's it just surprised the hell out of me for some reason. Yeah. Um, what, what you guys were supposed to, uh, if you guys followed that, they were actually feeding orphans and they were actually a good gang. Oh, they weren't any mis- uh, yeah. miscreants. Yeah. You guys would have had like one of those, like, the, the constable was going to come in and like try to like break things up and you guys would have had that moral, should we, 
help the orphans or help the constable, you know, law versus like being an actual good person. Mm-hmm. You know, themes. Interesting. As a, as a listener and a, a neutral third party observer, something tells me that probably wouldn't have gone well, especially if Flan were still involved at that point. No. Um, you guys hear the girl screams and go to check it out. Uh, you, as you head toward the screen, you approach a well and see gloopy people emerge. Um, battle begins and Reginald makes his first appearance. Yeah. Uh, Joel, you want to give a, give Reggie an introduction? Oh yeah. You know, it's weird. Cause like I was talking to somebody from pod nation who was listening to our podcast and he got to this part and it, it occurred to me like nobody else knew that Reggie was coming. So this is like a whole bag of worms that just gets dropped on everybody. And it's kind of a cool surprise, but uh, yes, Reggie is a little gnome that is trapped inside of Gorum. (laughs) And uh, I wanted to do something that was uh, Jekyll and Hyde or Hulk and Banner, but I didn't want to go from small to big. So I did it the opposite because I think that's I it's so funny funny. to me. I think it's such a it's such a good idea. Um, And then in uh, reality, Reggie was a bard, but since he got like juiced, I guess <laughs> he just like rages and uh, he has it, a funny little voice. <laughs> is, is Gorum technically a, a a barbarian from the start? Yeah, yeah. Um, there, I had a another idea for Gorum. Mm-hmm. And his backstory, like he was raised in a tribe of barbarians, but he also wanted to like be a druid. But I kind of itched that side story. Um, but yeah, I just I love that character. I love the character so much. And and up to this point, Gorum was played as uh, a psycho, you know, a, a pretty well. But that's just endearingly quirky uh, because he talks about the little man inside him the entire time in such a non, as a matter of fact, a way. And everybody's just kind of like, all right, we don't know what's going on with it. But you, by, the, by the time Reggie shows up, you're just kind of used to that being a character quirk. Like, okay, he's a barbarian. He's been hit in the head a couple of times. <laughs> but no, no, there is a uh, particularly eloquent uh, little man waiting to come out and hit you in the face with a giant two-handed hammer. Yes, because uh, at, at this point, I had just played it as uh, you hearing it from Gorm's perspective. So Gorm would be talking and he, he would just go, what's that, Reg? And then he'd listen and then respond to the voice that was going on in his head. Uh, so now everybody finally got to see the little voice that's inside his head. And it's this terrorizing little gnome. <laughs> and and someday they will release the Reggie cut. Where they've gone back in and edited in Reggie's <laughs> voice. So you can hear both sides of those conversations mm-hmm. right after the Snyder cut comes out. Yes, the um, Snyder so, cut and the butthole cut for cats. And then, and then the Reggie cut. And then the Reggie uh, cut. The Reggie cut. <laughs> uh, so you guys... 
Um, fight the goopy people. Um, you defeat the goopy people. Uh, uh, Orlando looks down in the well, sees that it's gross. Um, and <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sees that it's gross. It's so eloquent. Hey, uh, you're the eloquent one. I'm just the note taker. What I'm trying to listen and act and you, take you, hey, his notes. Hey, Joel, you do a fantastic job, and I love you for it. Joel, I know. I just fine. just listening to these notes. I kind of like. Wow, there's just so many things that don't really make sense <laughs> out, out of context. Well, it uh, it became a focus for like a good uh, a good chunk today. Okay, we got to cap this well off. We got to protect the people, um, mm-hmm. which uh, which was a nice touch. I wasn't kind of expecting that from Orlando. No offense, Orlando, but uh, wow. he, uh, he he put his big boy pants <laughs> on. <laughs> wow! And uh, wanted to uh, make sure that nobody else, no no other little girls suffered the same goopy fate uh, as this one, uh, the first one did. Um, you guys um, go to the carpenter's house to get a lid for the well. Um, talk to the son about uh, fixing the inn. Um, the son tries to lie to you, Orlando. Then you intimidate the kid. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, at that point, Flan was starting to uh, to set a tone for for how you guys were interacting with kids. Um, <laughs> did you rough him up? I can't remember if you. This is the kid that you guys uh- roughed up. I did yes. not rough up any. What? I didn't rough this up. This is any the kid. kid that we roughed up. I what? Yes, did we because rough up a kid? Huh? we roughed up a kid. I don't remember roughing up a kid. I remember roughing up a kid. Yeah, I, well, I we didn't guys, necessarily rough this him up, but like, uh, we intimidated him to the point where he was like crying because, uh, we we were looking for a piece of wood to cover it up, and then he was trying to lie about his dad not being around. And you used your tough guy act. You listen here, you little shit. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, we kind of harassed that kid. <laughs> and then the kid started crying. You guys, uh, having resolved the well lid situation, uh, that's where you see the first hill in the area. And on the top of it is a mill with a sign that says close. A human balding man opens the door. He says his name is Zam. Says he doesn't want to talk to us and closes the door. Flan, Flan throws his eldritch blast at the door and it blasts open. Um, Zam tells uh, tells you where the other adults are, uh, being underneath the mill through a trap door. Uh, the mill has been grinding red and blue uh, swirled black rocks. It's the same powder that was in the effigies that we thought was gunpowder. Perhaps it was something else. Um, but how, and I think everybody at that point had a feel for that. This powder was something explosive. You guys spent a good 15 minutes talking about throwing a fireball down that hatch, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not even really sure how that de-escalate. Cause at that point listening to it, I'm like, Oh, they're just going to kill all the adults. Problem solved. <laughs> Go back to the town. And basically lost boy that shit. Um, but I'm not exactly sure how we you guys backed off of the nuke all and let uh, let uh, Asun sort them out. I think what happened, and you guys chip in, uh, Flan kept trying to cast it, but he kept rolling nat once. 
Oh yeah. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. Said- should have read I should have read the next paragraph because that is correct. Gorham goes to rip the trap door open, but fails. Zam mm-hmm. opens it up with a lever. Flan, att- Flan attempts to light the place on fire with a firebolt, but he fails and sets some of the shop on fire. Yeah. Yep. Uh, then you got. Then I think you started talking about nuking the place while the, it's burning around down around you. Um, uh, you head down the trap door and see stacked up barrels and boxes of miners' equipment. Uh, two walkways south and one east. Gorham hears water uh, and picking down the path and enters. There's water in that tunnel. It looks brown and smells wrong. Um, and and uh, instead, logically so, you head south. Um, and there are barrels at the end of the path with an emblem on it, the emblem of Burkton, uh, with more goblin effigies inside. Um, you head west and find Nam Foodle, Chancellor, <laughs> uh, employee of Chancellor Turleyfoot of Prell, um, who is the uh, the nobleman who appears to be making the effigies and paying for this mining operation. Nam Foodle is a name that is in the Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 edition player's handbook. Just throwing that out there. So it is a real name for a gnome. And I think there were se- several jokes about Turleyfoot of Prell having Prell in his his title, correct? Might have been. I remember at least I, one Pr- Prell reference. I took the name Prell from a shampoo bottle. No. <laughs> oh. Namfoodle is a gas, but he's the idea that, of, that he's hurting the town with mining um at this point you guys had deduced i guess that the mining operation was poisoning the water and that's what had contributed to attack of the goopy people mm-hmm. um they were offered ten thousand gold pieces to mine the rocks they were told never to set the rocks on fire um orlando searches the desk of nam foodle and sees a lot of the correspondence between Turleyfoot and nam foodle um callum was the middleman uh picking up the effigies um, there are runes on the rocks from Turleyfoot giving off a conjuration vibe. Uh, and there's a path that leads leads back to a town that's filled with water. Orlando talks Namfoodle into beginning a tourism market. Orlando, you were pretty um, set on getting this town back up and running again, right? Yeah, I think that they had a lot of... Uh... A lot of marketability. I mean, for Pete's sake, their name is Crater Lake. That is a great name. Um. Yeah, I feel like they really uh, dropped the ball. But you helped them gain the ball back. Because <laughs> you're the one who I think explained the whole ball is life. The, the whole fact that they were poisoning the water table to Namfoodle again. It it turned into a situation where I think or you you were talking them down or talking them through it, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, having wrapped up Crater Lake, um. Uh, you guys just head off to Burkton. Um, out in the distance, you see a gray stone tower two miles off the road. Closer to the road is a a portal that's a duplicate to the one that Aldrin saw at the bottom of the lake. Aldrin goes to investigate. Uh, suddenly, there's a flash of light in the runes, and a portal opens. Enter Guy Gibraltar, or at least uh. that's he introduces himself. Uh, guys, uh, guys, first impression of Guy? I hated him. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> I think that there is like an appropriate level of madness. And Guy Gibraltar is like the KO Ken times 100 <laughs> of that level of madness. Uh, good reference. Good reference. 
Uh, Guy tells us he can hear Reginald through magic. Uh, he's a divination wizard, and what he can see, uh, from what he can see, shit's about to go down. Uh, Gorum tries to have his fortune told by Guy, and he tells you to look for Elsa. Uh, another? Did you guys ever go look for Elsa? Nope. Uh, we sure didn't. We talked about it. We talked about it. We actually set a plan to go do it, but then something else came up and we... I don't even remember Elsa. She was the fortune teller at the Burkton Festival. We were supposed to go get our fortunes read to, by her. Yeah, Joel, it was meant to be for you, a plot for you, but toilet. <sighs> I tried to get us there. I tried. I don't think you tried very hard. Nah, well, you know, nobody listens to me anyway. <laughs> Let That's it go, true. Joel. Let it yes. go. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, Elsa joke. Good. Yeah, you know, look, we had to do it at some point. Another cart comes by, guy gets on and drives away. Uh, you guys have a few more hours of travel before you arrive to scenic Burkton, um, which I, you guys described during the creative world building as famous for this festival pigs, and that's about goddamn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, they had a they had a great fecal matter export. Their fertilizing uh, market was through the roof. Pigs and shit. That's right. Oh, there we go. Cat. Mm-hmm. Wow, I don't remember that. Wow, really, Joel? You don't remember yeah. that? I'm surprised. Yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> uh, you guys arrived to Burton. Um, you make it to the market square where all the merchants set up for the festival. There's another portal archway in the town square. Um, and uh, I know at one point, uh, Orlando was pretty dead set on casting shatter on those things. Did you guys ever get the, wait, wait, I'm not sure where that thread really started either. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, it's, it's honestly hard to tell with uh, Orlando's motivations sometimes. That's fair. Uh, it's the eve of the festival. And people are finishing setting up. Elven woman is arguing about somebody, about about someone always getting a booth without a license. And the conflict appears to be out a pie maker whose pies make the public sick. Uh, there's a planetarian cart with smoke rising out of it. And it appears to be a traveling cart with an old woman, old woman in it. The elven woman says the pies make people sick. And that when she ate one, she got sick and nearly passed out. But people are always going back for more of those pies. Orlando knocks the pie out of Aldrin's hand. Apparently, Aldrin had gone up and gotten a pie. Orlando slaps it out of Aldrin's hands. Uh, And after some discussion, Aldrin goes back and gets a fruit and a meat pie. Aldrin detects necromatic magic in the pie. Orlando knocks the pie out of Aldrin's hand. Were there there two pie-slapping incidents, or is that an artifact of the notes? Nope. No, he did it twice. (laughs) That's awesome. He did it twice. Uh, Gorum. I was saving you from exhaustion. Well, you're, but you're sa- he was going to be testing it for detect poison. Yeah, and then you were going to eat it regardless. I know you, Gorum. I yeah, know that's you. right. In fact, <laughs> despite Orlando's valiant efforts at pie slapping, Gorum jumps down to the ground and eats it off the ground, earning that's a point right. of exhaustion. I was trying... To save you five, from yourself. <laughs> five second rule. Well, you didn't try hard enough. 
Orlando goes to interrogate the old woman and asks her name. She goes by Meemaw. Uh, the guard won't investigate the old woman and her pies despite everyone getting sick. Orlando tries to draw the guard away using a minor illusion of someone calling for help. Marhalt Gorham, Aldrin Terra Six. Uh, and by the way, if you had forgotten that Terra and a Griffin were tagging along, it seems like the adventurers did too for, for much of this yeah, conversation. They did. Uh, the uh, Orlando. Okay, so so to be fair, uh, Marhal, that was his number one priority was getting rid of Terra, the whole time. I just we just kept getting sidetracked with other shit. Well, I think, and I think this is where like this next kind of block, besides bringing us Mima, her pies, Gorham's kryptonite being pie. I think we're getting into Marhalt's kind of big block of the adventure because this is where it really kind of almost shifts a little bit into police procedural where you guys are you're going to the Temple of Tear. There's a woman who's dealing with complaints. She's dealing with people complaining about things being stolen, um, which, again, that seems like another a plot thread that didn't didn't get chased down. Was there a, was there a thievery ring that got missed, Alex? Yes. Um, which, so, again, I wanted to investigate that. It was actually... Um, the the big thing that was stolen was like um, the protection for the town. They had a relic that they uh, was stolen from like the the church's vault, and it actually gave protection for like evil doing around town. Um, the the villain of the the ark uh, hired a, a a thief to ca- the the capture it. Uh, that why that's why the uh, hellhound in the subsequent episode uh, was able to enter the church with no problem. And we didn't even we didn't even bite on any of that. We had this big old apple and you guys were just like, nah. <laughs> Which uh, by the way, real quick, Alex. Yeah. Was was her name Mima or was it just Ma? It was Mima. Okay. Cause when I was listening back to it, it almost sounded like you said most people call me Ma. And oh, then I sp- said Mima? Okay, the inspiration for this uh this adventure was um my uh wife's grandmother, who they call Mima, um would make ham and I could not digest it. And so I thought I couldn't digest any pork because her ham would literally lay me out for like hours. Like I'd be writhing in pain. And so I was like what what can I do at like a festival? Pie and then Mima's pies. But you're right, it was Ma at first because I didn't want to say Mima because I didn't want it to track back to my my wife's grandmother. But like everyone knows now that that ham kills everyone. So <laughs> so I inadvertently brought it back. Is what you're saying? Yeah, sort of. And I'm okay <laughs> with it. That's so good. Uh, Marholt uh, interacts with Glora, who's the only other knight in town uh, in the Temple of Tear. And I think it's worth noting that Marholt is a paladin of Tear. Um, Marholt, uh, you guys go to talk to the priest who runs the temple, but the priest loves Mima's pies. He won't hear any noise about Mima. Um, you find out that a thief in town stole a keystone from the portal archway and switched it with another. Uh, one of the nobles seems to have something to do with it. 
Father Tarbin is the priest's names, and he seems to be under some sort of spell. Aldrin goes back to buy another pie, and when he does, Flan says he ate some pie and doesn't know where she went. Um, <laughs> smoke is coming out of the cart. Orlando goes to check it out. Did you guys, do you have to pick the lock, Orlando, or did you just walk right in? It was open. Yeah, I think I just wandered in. Uh, the cart is bigger on the inside. Uh, Orlando detects all sorts of magic coming in fry inside the cart slash house. Orlando tells Gorham uh, there are free pies in the cart. Gorham breaks down the door, uh, eats another pie, and earns his second point of exhaustion. Um, Orlando goes to steal one of the pies on the floor and a uh, and the floor, a, a carpet, and a broom come to life and combat begins. Um, Mother Halt talks to Meemaw and Hot Pie, the, the guard, about coming to the temple and eating pie. Uh, Meemaw sees something going on in her cart. She pushes past Meemaw, uh, Halt to get back in the cart. Aldrin uh, moves to take her out. The old woman is clouded in illusion. She isn't who she seems to be. Um, after defeating magical and inanimate objects, and I think we're skipping over the big fact here that Gorham kind of gets his ass handed to him by a carpet. And I think that's partially because Joel's the one <laughs> taking these notes. Listen, I don't want to get into too much detail with the combat stuff. Why should I need to take all those notes? <laughs> but yes, I got my ass handed to me by a carpet. By and, but Zach got his ass beat by a broom. See, I don't. I don't remember it that way. I remember. That's. I don't. I don't think that's true. Bro. No. No. I remember. Orlando, I think that's a lie. You tell yourself to feel better. I think you finally got to use that shatter spell and pretty, mm -hmm. pretty took pretty good care of the well, broom, uh, and then had to find a way to deconstruct you because you were getting pythoned uh, by uh, by the carpet. Not in a sexy way. <laughs> it's more of a cobra choke. Cobra showed. Um, uh, uh, you guys. Well, maybe it wasn't that you got your ass beat, but every time you tried to cast a spell on one of those things, it seemed I to tried, fail. I tried to cast fear on the rug. Why would you think casting fear on an inanimate object would work? How is not inanimate? Exactly. It attacked. <laughs> it oh, was it animated. is an inanimate object. <laughs> and he Bad wording. So so I couldn't fear a rug. My bad. <laughs> uh, it turns out Dungeons and Dragons, everyone, uh, fearing a rug. The uh, <laughs> and, and let it be known throughout the entire arc of this, out of all the creatures that you guys would fight on this adventure, the only one that ever got the upper hand on Gorum was that carpet. <laughs> I hope this carpet was like the spirit of a 300-year-old barbarian who was like the ancient king of a tribe. Anyway, my original plan was to steal that cart, but we left way too early because I was going to ask Marhalt to uh, cast command on the deed to have the witch sign the deed over to us so that we would have a magical carriage, but we just never got around to it. Hmm. Marhalt, it oh, damn. Right? How cool would that have been? That would have been sweet. <laughs> uh, Mima was a green hag. Uh, you guys take her back to the temple, lock her up. Um, you guys finally at that point remember having completed your caravan guarding job earlier in the day, you probably should go get paid um, and go back to your boss uh, to talk to Talbot about getting your money. 
Um, priorities, guys. Priorities. At this point, um, it, the conversation starts up about how to become the next Burko Burko Meister. Burko Meister. Uh, uh, the uh, so the, the town of Burkton uh, is ruled by a mayoresque figure called the Burkomeister, who is determined um, in a festivist-like fashion through contests and feats of strength and uh, a couple other contests. Um, if a person enters the elections, you must win three events each day to enter the race to become Burkomeister. Um, you guys figure out which competitions you want to enter. If you win one event each day, you get a plot of land and five thousand gold. Um, which I totally forgot that there was a chunk of change involved in that. Oh, yeah. Ah, did I not get my 5,000 gold? <laughs> you didn't win each day. You guys got through the first day of the yeah, thing, you and then you jumped through a portal. Ah. We were forced through a portal. We went through it. Let's be real. We weren't forced through anything. We I was forced, because I was the last one to decide. Well, look, I wasn't going to fight 5,000 fucking goblins okay so. i had something planned you guys just we're, never go we're getting it. ahead of ourselves anywho um uh once again after, after getting paid by talbot you guys head back to the temple of tear um where hobos are staying in the temple and at first i was like are they referring to themselves as the hobos at this point but no hobos are staying at the temple um because of all the foot traffic in town for the festival uh glora tells people that nemo the hag has been trying to convince feeble-minded people to free her. Marhalt says he'll stand watch for the night. Orlando gives Marhalt his bardic inspiration. Um, uh, while going uh, for your long rest, Marhalt hears a howl. Looking out the cellar door, Marhalt sees Six, the griffin. Remember Six and Tara. Yeah, he seems off and Tara seems to be missing. Marhalt wakes Glora to keep watch over the hag while he goes outside to look for Tara. And alley across the street are red eyes. They bark and snarl and combat begins. In the mouth of the hellhound is Tara. Take out the hellhound. Marhalt finds a collar on it with the number two. Tara says she got scared when uh, when she stepped in between Six and the hound. Um, and finish up your long rest and head to the circus in the morning to ask about the hellhound. You guys never made it to the circus, though, right? Nope. 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 That was the only thing I really wanted to do. <laughs> I never made it. <laughs> Besides maybe, get rid of Tara. Maybe we can just go back. <laughs> Honest to God, our whole podcast <laughs> is just... A upsetting whole mess me. of unlaid plans. <laughs> to be fair, though, you guys started to head out. I think you'd put two and two together between the two and the six, or two and six together, and we're headed to the circus and went, wait, wait, let's go ahead and offload the 12-year-old and the griffin, and thus you headed over to the tower, part of the larger academy located in Asun. Um, so you guys uh, talk to Father Tarbin. He says the hound shouldn't have gotten in the courtyard because there are protections to keep that thing out. The thief has been stealing odd things from the area, nothing of real value, and the guards haven't been able to find him, and they're frustrating. Uh, with Alex's backstory now, we know why. Uh, the party yeah. goes to the Mage Academy Tower to try and find Tara a patron, um, and after that, you're going to go talk to Elsa and check in on the circus. Um, the tower was a larger part of the Mage Academy. It had uh, was a tower. Um, the tower is a research facility for higher-ranking mages of Neptune, there were four academics, Allura, 
for plants, Gort for geology, Meltus astronomy, and Tornock for divination. Tara was super excited about Gort, but tells us they're all students and none would be able to be patrons. An elven woman comes out of the tower and asks what's going on. She recognizes Marholt uh, from his adventures and says the rumors are true that he came out of a book and came to life. Uh, Tony, was that planned between you and Alex beforehand, or what was what was the uh, is it given too much away to talk a little bit about the Marholt book deal? Not the Marholt book deal, but so it was just yeah, yeah, it was just an idea that Alex threw out there, and I was like, okay, let's see where this goes, and. Uh, we really never went much further than that. Yeah, his his backstory is more of me piecing it together for him. It's a mystery for him. Yeah. So, oh, okay. See, I had gotten yeah. the impression, um, and I blame this on Joel and and Reggie and Gorham at this point, that all of oh. you guys had kind of come up with uh, detailed backstories secretly and were revealing them over time. Like Marhalts was you know this character from a book. Reggie was secretly the Reverse Hulk. And uh, Orlando Nash was teenage James Bond, but it appears like that was only true for Reggie. And I was just reading in a little bit too much into the situation. I mean, Orlando has his own backstory. He's going to, I mean, like slowly reveal it. Like he's, he, he it's his, but Marhalt kind of hit a character change at last minute because he wanted to, to balance the bar party a little bit That's differently right. uh, when we have more characters on. So he decided he wanted to be a paladin because originally he was going to be a sorcerer which I was totally cool, but like everyone else, uh, what's his name? The one everyone seems to like for no reason. Flan. Um, Flan. Um, yeah, he, he kind of like, I'm going to be a warlock. And everyone's like, oh, where did this come Everybody from? likes Flan because he seems like a Futurama character that has got inserted into your gaming group. He, um, he, he I mean, that is, that's true for his personal character too. Matt is a <laughs> Futurama character. Um, <laughs> Well, it's cool. I liked it. I, I thought it, I thought it was a little bit more coordinated. It's cool, even if it worked out organically. Um, you guys, she's fascinated with Marholt. Uh, Marholt tries to talk to Allura about the Keystone. She says, "Talk to Gort, who's not there." Um, there's a comet coming down that will make landfall in two days. Gort and Miltos are off to watch it. The sisters of the Flying Valkyrie are the group who know about Marholt. Um, Allura tells us. Uh, the author of the Marholt books is a dwarf woman who was related to Melgna from the Heroes 3. Uh, the letter from Crater Lake from Lord uh, Turleyfoot has the wrong seal on it. I think you guys find this out when you're talking to uh, Allura, not a, yeah, Allura, I guess, is you guys. How did that Turleyfoot seal get discovered? It was in Crater Lake. Yeah, we found it. We found Turleyfoot's insignia in Crater Lake. Uh, Alora is Alora's patron is Turleyfoot. Zach pulled out the the evidence to show her that he's up to no good, and then she said that's not his seal, but it could be somebody else's, which is what led us to go to the nobles camp. Uh, okay. That's and and that was pretty much off to the races from there. So Allura, because then you get into the contests, and then uh, Orlando Nash, guidance counselor. Um, Allura, uh, okay. So there's the whole foo-for-ah about the seal. You guys go to the noble camp. Um, you meet Turleyfoot's caretaker. There's a furbolg on a chaise lounge who asks if you're the masseuse. Marholt takes the lead, talking to him, and uh, goes on about the. Uh, Ford's letter sent to Crater Lake. The seal does not belong to Mandrake, but someone else. Um, 
but he did replace the keystone in the archway. Did he explain what was going on with the keystone? Uh, I heard that. Oh, sorry. So you guys go and talk to uh, Mandrake. Uh, Mandrake uh, says he doesn't, the seal doesn't belong to him. He didn't have anything to do with Crater Lake, but he does admit to replacing the keystone in the archway. Yeah, we never really found out what the purpose, I don't remember finding out why he replaced that keystone. Okay. Um, but Marhal just assumed it was because he was one of the bad guys and was ready to uh, help well, him. With hey, a name like Mandrake, uh, what would you expect? Right. Uh, yeah, his his son is the one that made his father cha change out the uh, um, keystone because the which what's his face um elias was uh killed and taken over by one of the fold and became arpeggio rex which is his alter ego and uh basically became a agent of the fold which we'll find out about them later See, I, th I thought arpeggio what? rex was a dragonborn um yeah he is okay he got taken over by the fold mm-hmm and Is we that didn't... why he was a bumbling moron? Yeah, we we kind of you liked him, Zach. You said you, I actually enjoy him. Yeah, he's a bumbling yeah. moron. Of course, yeah, I like him. He enjoys him because he made it because Zach Orlando made him his bitch. Ah, that's true. I didn't. Uh, I mean, yes, you did. Yes, yes you did. Yes, but you also... did. <laughs> I didn't realize he was dead. <laughs> um, he, they everyone was saying that Elias was quiet. And when you guys met uh, Arpeggio, he wasn't. He's very loud. You guys took it as like a stage thing. But really, it was mm. Elias was never. He was a quiet, like kind of bookish boy. And then his soul got pulled out and a new one got pushed in. And then Arpeggio Rex. Wow. We absolutely suck at figuring out your story points. No, we. Uh, we I think you guys did fine. We figured it out. We knew. It turned out, I mean, once once we realized that the seal was, I mean, I know we're getting a little ahead of Turner, but sure. once we realized the seal was magically altered, we started to understand that, oh, okay, so Arpeggio Rex is corrupted. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but we didn't, well, I don't know. I guess we didn't really understand how the fold worked at that time. And that was the point. You guys didn't know yet, and you will learn more in the future but i just wanted to let you guys know about that because the whole bodiless thing and uh, we'll we'll get to it when turner gets to so it So after chasing down the uh the controversy about the seal uh regarding to turleyfoot and crater lake uh, you guys have your next encounter with guy gibraltar um who uh reggie isn't talking to gorham is instead talking to guy um where, where we find out that mm. there is actually uh, something going on with Guy Gibraltar, and he has the ability to telepathically communicate to the gnome inside Reggie. Um, Gorham goes to confront him, um, feeling more than a little jealous as it came across. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Guy says he's met Reggie before, and he's known him for 100 years. Uh, Guy says whenever he talks about the future, it changes, and this is where we get into... Uh, the fact that Guy appears to uh, view time in a non-linear fashion. Uh, he tells Orlando that Orlando is the one who survives. The one, he's the one who predicted Rengroth's fall. Orlando mentions the comet, and Guy starts freaking out. Guy said he didn't take it into his calculations. The guy, you guys start to suspect that Guy is actually Velo, the, or, uh, the first wizard. Um, the crazy man that uh, Guy was talking to is Dobbins. Dobbins says there's su suspicious lights at night. 
blue, green, some reds in south in the border by Telador, about two hours from where you're at now. You guys head back to the nobles' camp to look for Mandrake again. Um, there's an orc standing outside the tent. Elias Mandrake is the son. Kyber Mandrake is the father. Um, you guys head to the festival to find Kyber and ask him questions and to participate in the competitions. Um, Gorham uh, participates in his competition, which is uh, the competition of strength, uh, which was an arm wrestling table. There's a judge's table uh, with three, a Goliath, red-haired woman named Rose, an elf uh, who was... One of my one of my favorite, the artist formerly known as Galaxy, uh, and an older <laughs> human who's just grim. Um, Gorham goes up against Moose. Gorham releases Reggie. Reggie tears through Moose, uh, a one punch man analog, and an elderly woman who transformed into a raging beast, um, thoroughly winning the arm wrestling contest as a gnome. There was a lot of natural twenties. There's a lot of crazy high rolls for you on that. Are you burned through yeah. that contest? Yeah, because um, what? How did because how did I get advantage for those? I got advantage for something. No, you just didn't get exhaustion. <laughs> well, yeah, but I was also rolling at advantage. I think. I know. I don't think you were. I feel like I. I, was. I think you just were competent with your rolls that time that well, week. Don't don't barbarians get advantage on strength checks? Oh, yeah, with your enrage. Yeah. So that's how I was getting advantage. I think. And that's why I was rolling well, I don't, so well. Again, I, and we, we, we can go back and check the tape, but I think you were actually still at disadvantage, but you were using that advantage to offset it. I think there were flat rolls because at this point, you guys still haven't made it all the way through a long rest because of the uh, Hellhound <laughs> attack. Um, well, we finished our long rest. Uh, so I had two points of exhaustion. So the long rest eliminated one of them. Uh, and the reason I the reason I raged was because we discussed that Reggie wouldn't be affected by the disadvantage because Reggie wasn't there. It was Gorham. So Yeah, and it's it's a it was a uh, spiritual and exhaustion. Gorham yes. is still pie hungover <laughs> at this point. Um on yep. to this yeah. Yeah, and it took us like five more sessions before we got that extra long rest, and I didn't have to worry about the disadvantage anymore. Yeah, there's a running thread throughout the entire adventure where there's that moment where you go, oh, God, I'm still screwed from the pie, almost in every encounter where it just creeps yep. in, where it had been forgotten for just a moment, and then it just, oh, God, the pie, that's right. Um Tessa's mm -hmm. running the singing competition uh, where we first meet a dragonborn named Arpeggio Rex, um, who's very confident in win. My my favorite, my favorite uh, NPC. Uh, the uh, a young half elf girl named Landra, who went from a little shy to Gene Simmons, and uh, Tessa. Um, Orlando crushes it. Arpeggio Rex comes up to the stage and begins rapping. Uh, Orlando wins in a glorious fashion. Uh, Zach, you want to walk us through a little bit of Orlando's time there? I trash talked him to death. <laughs> uh, no, I just had, uh, you know, being the natural lyricist that Orlando is. Um, yeah, we got, we made fun of each other. I think that mine were a little more on point. 
uh, the crowd seemed to enjoy them more. I enjoyed them more. Best friends. Uh, yeah, you do get you guys do get pretty pretty well hammered. I think at the end of it, frenemies. Um, to... no, he he took defeat in stride. He wasn't like angry or upset about it. He was like, "You beat me. You're good." Which maybe that was bait. I wouldn't be surprised. And at that point, do you lift his yeah. microphone? Oh no, I kept force feeding him drinks and he passed out and then I stole his golden microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah, so Arpeggio uh, had a, a fairly potent magical item which Orlando uh, slips him a roofie to to take. Um, which was, um, was that golden mic per, like from the fold or was that from our Yes. Work? No, it's from the fold. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to hold tight to that unless they've already taken it. Who's to say? So uh, after a really impressive uh, performance at the arm wrestling contest in Arpeggio Rex uh, being defeated by uh, Orlando at the singing contest, we get to the obstacle course, um, which Marhalt, how far did you make it in the obstacle course? So, you know, it was, I was hoping to be, you know, America Ninja Ninja Warrior. Warrior. Turned out to be more like Wipeout. Or for those of you who never watched Wipeout, maybe you've seen Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Yeah, so it was not uh, not a good thing. Sorry, I didn't you. make it back. Oh, it's fine. I my rolls always always suck at roll twenty. That's true. The uh, unless it's for something completely useless. Yeah. Hey, does anyone have a knowledge check for this? Uh, thick twenty. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you guys check to see if these pies are poisonous. Twenty. Yep. The uh, so you guys head over to it's Turner's Townhouse Two. Uh, no relation. Uh, you guys find Talbot Talbot, the third of five brothers. What color is Talbot's shirt? For the record, Alex. Uh, so it's green and then blue. I think she Talbot is red. All right. I have to look at uh, And then Orlando and Arpeggio Rex are there. Uh, they're drunk and talking about how awesome they are. And at that point, uh, Orlando lifts the golden mic. Um, yep. mm-hmm. You go searching for Moose. Something I have done in real life on both accounts. Wait, what? Oh, getting drunk and talking about how awesome I am. Oh, yeah. It's on point character. You guys uh, go searching for Moose to find Mandrake. Marhalt finds Moose went to the nobles' camp. Arpeggio is alias the Mandrake's son, um, who is and was supposed to win the music competition. The Mandrake uh, tent is very sparse and minimalist. Lord Mandrake is behind a desk wearing glasses with intelligent eyes. You approach him to see if he'll sponsor Terra. He says no. You show him the fake letter and the fake seal. Um, you discover the powder needs a catalyst for it to work to transport people. The keystone arches were used to transport goods all over the world. They were dismantled by Rengroth towards the end of the rain because he was afraid of something. I guess I never made the connection that that's what that powder was for, that it needed a catalyst for transport. I thought it was a bomb Mm -hmm. the entire time. Oh, it is. Mm -hmm. So this sort of shifts some new things into light. With mm-hmm. Arpeggio Rex being part of the fold, the fold came to Earth and started mining a very explosive substance out from underneath of us under the guise of a noble. Mm-hmm. The fold yeah. is America. <laughs> you have a beautiful natural resource. It'd be a shame if we came in and took it. 
They're not the only country that does that. I was the slow say, eternal march of colonialism. Could have been the British Empire too. That's, yeah. Let's throw our hey. We learned, friends of, we, lo- we learned it from them. Yeah. Friend, well, friends. Let's talk about the. Let's too. talk about the Dutch and the diamonds. Friends and flares too. Imperialism proceeds. <laughs> Again, you guys. Anyway. At this point, still Terra and Griffin in tow. The second you cross this guy's name off the <laughs> is this the big bad guy list? Nope. Will you take this 12-year-old off our hands? I mean, that was step one. <laughs> Are you the villain? No. How do you feel about adoption? <laughs> I, do you like this child we have? Here we go. <laughs> Unfortunately, that didn't work out. So you head over to Lord Goodfit, um, a well-dressed gnome with a trim. Go- His name... His name was literally in it. Yeah, this for the record. <laughs> this wasn't the first time you heard of Lord Goodfit. It felt like at some point no. you had 20 name, twenty nobles' names listed out to you, and Alex went, oh, yeah, then there's Lord Goodfit. Good fit. Good, good fit. Good fit. You guys finally make your way over there, um, and uh, Lord, good, Lord Tybus Goodfit you see him in the tent with the telescope looking out his tent. Orlando looks through the telescope uh, and discover he was spying on a woman. Lord Goodfoot is in love, but is awkward and uh, around intelligent creatures. Um, Lord, Lady Leah is the object of his affections. Uh, Tybus's brother um, is courting Lady Leah, although she doesn't seem that into it. Granite comes into the tent, gives, uh, starts to bully Tybus, puts him in a headlock. Marholt attempts to command Tybus to be confident and charming but he only gets charming. Um, <laughs> Orlando yeah. Nash guidance counselor yeah. begins. So Gorham takes Lady Leah and Tara out of the tent. So Marhalt and Orlando can work with Duke Tybus on expressing his feelings for her. Um, they, they try to help Duke Tybus get his confidence up and uh, give him a makeover. Uh, Gorham, Lady Leah, and Tara are walking through the festival. Tara says she wants to bob for apples. Gorham comes up. Uh, Gorham goes to, p- to participate with her, um, comes up and sees a dart poking out of the back of Lady Leah's neck um, and sees Granick, uh, the <laughs> older brother, fuming. Gorham picks up <laughs> Leah and Tara and runs. Um, I think this was this was one of my favorite scenes. Simply because uh, this is when we took the Shrek gif <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and posted it and had Gorham uh, just doing an obstacle course through the city. Mm-hmm. Mm. We, we were dying with that gif, <laughs> which I actually used it later in an Instagram post that didn't really go anywhere, but... <laughs> Sour. And, and to me, this is people like the related memes. They don't like friends and flares related memes because <laughs> friends and flares doesn't mean anything to them. Nope. nope. Uh, yeah. If they listened to the show, it would. <laughs> well, dude, this is just or Gorham's reaction to this entire because so the dart makes is a love potion, and Lady Leah immediately begins to act attracted to Gorham, and. Just how private he's like, nope, not having it. Just throws it over his shoulder and takes <laughs> off. Like, we're out. I'm going to grab this little 12-year-old and drag her behind me as we run for mm-hmm. the hills. Uh, the um, 
Let's see. Uh, picks up Lady Leah and runs back at the tent. Orlando is giving Duke Tybus advice on how to treat women like humans. Um, Marhalt goes out looking for a stylist <laughs> uh, and a barber. Orlando talks the Duke about having to love himself before he finds Leah. Orlando, any other? Uh, I would like to point out for this episode, uh, I actually looked up Jonathan Van Ness Queer Eye quotes. <laughs> and uh as much as i would love to take credit for these things a lot of them are from the queer eye for the straight guys which uh is interesting because the post i put on fa- uh instagram yeah. today when you did that i was like oh no was i oh, found I've out been found out <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> well uh. it, it, it had that feeling throughout that episode it was kind of like a queer eye episode yeah. and, I, was, I was aiming for roxanne but you guys ended up doing queer eye which is even better marhold makes it to the square uh finds a tailor and a stylist the artist formerly known as galaxy finds marhold and approaches him uh granic uh challenges gorm to a duel after the crowd had been laughing at him for calling him a pig reggie comes out and handles it um granic uh what go doesn't Reggie like beat his ass? Ex- extremely, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. as as uh, uh, Reggie was beating the the daylights out of Granick, he was gonna take it out on Terra, and that's when Guy Gibraltar uh-huh. swoops in, and we run again. So Guy and Reggie head back to the tent and run into Marhalt. Uh, This is, and again, I totally remember it when it happened and went, oh, okay. And then have forgotten about it until this very moment. Guy reveals he has antenna on his head. Anybody else remember that Guy had antenna? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I totally had forgotten about that. Uh, He keeps on repeating that Rengroth didn't tell him about any of this. Gorum lays Lady Leah on Duke Tybus with that. Tybus goes to kill his brother. That was the resolution yep. of the big pep talk. Learn to love yourself. Fratricide. Murder your brother. If you can't love yourself, murder. To your credit, <laughs> he does D&D. successfully murder his brother, um, which causes you uh, Pretty easily. to leave the tent with the dead body lying there, um, which it, it, it uh, Guy Gibraltar says he's going to get you out of town while Duke Tybus takes the heat off. Um, the party heads to Telador. Um, I do believe that Tybus Goodfit does agree to take Terra on at this point. Is this is this the last we see of Terra and her om- omnipresent Griffin? Yes. Yes. Uh, and it, we finally did. There doesn't seem her. to be a tearful <laughs> farewell scene in the notes about leaving Terra. No, oh, yeah, imagine that. <laughs> so problem solved. Next problem, you guys now need to skip town, which is, uh, I guess, what ends up being the interu- interruption uh, between getting back to the circus or any other of the side plots. Um, because, I appreciate that we went from heroes, like the arm wrestling competition, the the singing comp, or the, the rap battle. Then Granite gets his ass beat. And we're like, oh, we got to go. <laughs> yeah, because we were implicated in a murder. <laughs> the whole arc of the festival to welcome to town, cursed pies, save the day, 
Oh shit, Hellhound. Let's go, let's go to the tower. Wait a minute. Are you the bad guy? Then over to the contest. And I, yeah, like it just the whole arc of the festival in and of itself is just so wonderfully bizarre for it to end with. Okay, we gotta get the hell out of here is the perfect way that it could have gone. <laughs> but it is in our style. <laughs> it is. It is. We came, we fucked it up, and we, we left. left. Our job here's done. Goodbye. At least half the things wash your hands of that. Half the things were a little bit better. At least half the things were a little bit worse. Your work was done. Um, you guys leave yep. town ahead of the law um, to find uh, uh, looking for Meltis and Gort uh, in the luscious uh, forest country. You guys don't see a forest, but a misty gray shadow. A pile of rocks warns you not to touch the rock, lest we become rock too. Guy runs after him and calls him Rocky. Uh, thus enter Gort, the last of his kind, a rock person. Orlando asks Gort about the comet. Guy says, you guys are the new heroes, um, which I guess is a good point to do a callback to the Heroes 3. Do you guys want to throw out a Heroes 3 fact or two? Yeah, um, that's something you guys would have learned more about if you guys freaking didn't go jump through a portal. <laughs> Again, I didn't want to jump through. <laughs> Joel, you're the only person I respect now. <laughs> Just kidding. That's because you have I... no sense of adventure, Joel. <laughs> Because I wanted to do other things. I wanted to finish the competition. You I would go to... back to the rug. I don't store, understand. Joel. If that's the case, then why did we ever leave the festival? Yeah. Well, because there was we so left. much shit to do at the festival. We did not have to go to where the fucking asteroid. Well, was we going. left because we had to avoid the heat from the yeah. cops. We didn't have to. We didn't murder anyone. Well, yeah, but, but we were well, and that's what this part. You no, guys we, had pretty much already fine. established that Marhalt kind of was the law in that town. There was one other knight uh, that was running the Temple of Tear and a priest that Marhalt had kind of handed him out. You, you guys, pretty much were were in the clear, but reasonably so. We're like, oh shit, we just, we just we... There, 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 there was a town guard. She was the only paladin. She was more like the right. church law. Yeah, there, there was a town guard guard around. But he was corrupted and fat and lazy anyway. I mean, there's other town guards too, but it was the only one you guys interacted with. We would have been perfectly fine. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go to the to the site. I just wanted to stay in the festival in the town because I I, I wanted to go burn down the zoo. I I give you guys a lot of shit for jumping through that portal, but I'm proud of you because you made it. <laughs> so the heroes <laughs> and stuck to it. The heroes three were the uh, the people who overthrew the uh, the goblins originally. Guy appears to be building you guys up to be replacements for them. Part of the comet already fell and made contact and turned the forest into stone. Um, you discover various types of magic. The gnome Meltus appears. Gort tells us Guy isn't from this planet and crash landed his ship. Um, he's been teaching magic and seems to be immortal. He lost his memory and doesn't know where it went. His ship is the comet. Guy says if his family is showing up on the planet, we're all screwed. Um, Guy asks Miltus and Gort if lights have been going on in the sky. He says yes. He asks if the tower is lit. He says yes to that as well. The towers were a warning for Rengroth that Guy's family was on the planet. Uh, Rengroth is Guy's son. Uh, Guy fell in love with a goblin woman. His race, the Fold, are incapable of breeding, so they 
<laughs> Again, it's a great. His race, the fold, are incapable of breeding, so they take over planets. Which, to be honest with you, if you're having trouble breeding, that seems like the natural reaction. Guy merged his <laughs> DNA with a goblin woman and made Ringroth. Uh, Ringroth turns out to still be alive. Guy says his people are beginning to envelop your world uh, and you need to destroy the gate that's in the tower. Uh, Elias Arpeggio Rec came from Telador. Get to the tower, a bright blue-green light is coming out of it. Um, only one person is needed to conquer a world according to Guy. The bodiless are going to the festival to get bodies. Um, Guy is a scout to see if his people could survive on the planet. On top of the tower is a shadowy figure with a bow drawn. Combat begins. Um, Guy says Gort and Meltis found the path. Um, so in that in that village, we start to see a little bit about, or in that fight, we start to see a little bit of how uh, powerful the that mic is. Because um, Zach, you go flying around in in that encounter, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mic is pretty sweet. Um, so you guys take out uh, how many people were in that tower total? It was like a pretty decent combat encounter. Four. Yeah, three or four. Yeah, that's a pretty big encounter. Uh, you guys uh, make it through, um, and uh, Guy says Gort and Meltas found the path. As you arrive to the village, you see elves with wide eyes looking at us. Um, Guy says they are partially taken. As you walk through the village, you see some evil statues. Um, Orlando pretends to be one of the mindless and feels hundreds of eyes on him. When Marhalt and Gorham walk down the path, Gorham becomes frightened and combat begins with the weird creature. Um, so you're getting pretty close to the the final wrap up here. Um, Zach, you just kind of shut your eyes and hummed your way through it, or like you just pretty much strolled right through, right? Yep. <laughs> it wasn't an issue. Uh, it, it made me think of like a lot of zombie movies when uh like when people have to walk through zombies, they just walk like a zombie. Didn't you guys have control over the partially taken some people? I don't know if it was that guy Gibraltar, because didn't you have them make like a human bridge? Because there's this whole threat that there you could get petrified by touching something that's not on the path. Mm -hmm. And I think you guys had the zombies yeah. make a people bridge that you could walk across at some point. Zach mm -hmm. did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, then uh, Gorm gets in combat with a uh, the weird creature. After almost being killed, uh, the party heads down the uh, the path to a clearing and gets set up for the night. Um, they wake up for the day. Orlando goes to investigate the well in the elven town. You see a metallic glint at the bottom of the well. Uh, Cast detect magic and finds twenty two different sources in the well. Um, in the sacker, 20 crossbow bolts, a tear-shaped pendant, and a dowel rod with lightning bolts on the side in a gray sack. Um, you guys head out of the village. I forgot about that. <laughs> Sorry. The, the pendant or the lightning lightning rod? The lightning bolt. The lightning bolt. Uh, good DMing on my part. <laughs> the... Uh... Do you guys ever, yeah, you guys never used that, right? Or if somebody got the pendant, because again, mm -hmm. I think you guys established that the pendant would protect you from the the petrification. From disease, and, yeah. And then um, the, um, during the combat with the weird creature, it was kept trying to throw you out and getting petrified. So you're, you're in this big, giant, petrified surrounding forest, and there was a village in the center of it that was protected. Um, 
you guys stay there for the night and then discover the treasure and head out. Um, it, it is worth noting. Yeah, you guys. The the weird creature was <laughs> described here as the platypus creature. Platypus creature. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> You went so far into detail with it that I couldn't remember all of it. <laughs> so I just remember you saying that it kind of looked like a platypus, and that's what I wrote down. That also made its way into the episode title name. I think that's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Platypus is the... Hidden Platypus. I was so confused with that episode title when you edited it. I was like, what does this mean? Because we talk, there's mention of a platypus somewhere in that. That episode? Okay, yeah. I don't remember, but I do say a lot of things. Is, so. I, I know Zach had said at one point, crouching tiger hidden paladin or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But yes, the reason it says platypus in my notes is because there was so much going on, especially with the fact that Gorum was about to die. <laughs> That I didn't get a good uh, description of the creature, so I just wrote platypus. <laughs> the uh, is that was that a homebrew creature or is that something out of the monster manual? Just out of curiosity. Um. Oh, I uh, reskinned a chull. Um. Let me see if I can pull up a picture of it. Kind kind of like that. Oh. But it had, um, I added uh, like tassels and like more stuff on it because I saw one picture that it had like instead of like um, the tentacles on its mouth, it had tentacles underneath its arms. That's horrifying. (laughs) Oh, kind of like this. But yeah. All right. Now we've established the the platypus creature's origins. the, uh, it does not look like a platypus at all. No, it looks more like a shrimp. <laughs> yeah, the picture I'm seeing is uh, I, I can't I don't have Twitch pulled up, but I googled chill and I'm like, that's a hermit crab. What? A... Yeah. <laughs> Although I think another reason I said it was a platypus was because the roll twenty icon for that creature was oh, like a platypus been... looking type thing. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't load the actual <laughs> monster. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Roll 20. Uh, so you guys... Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, boo, boo, boo. Uh, you guys head out of the village. You see statues of goblinoid figures. Thousands of them. Um, it does seem like, and I say this for a reason, an incredibly intimidating amount of goblinoid figures <laughs> that the party is now confronted with. Gorham yells at the statues... Uh, to prove to Orlando he doesn't need to talk good about the goblins and a monster appears. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> what happened to you? So after killing the platypus creature and a reincarnated goblin... Um, I guess you guys had bumped into one of the goblins at that point. It came out of the stone, um, establishing, hey, these just weren't creepy goblin statues. And again, let me reiterate that you were given the impression numbered in the thousands that were staring at you. Um, Hey, uh, hey. 
I get they it. were actual goblins. Uh, you guys head further down the path. You see a forest. The statues become less. Uh, you leave the forest and you see a man in blue chrome armor with a hammer with an engine on it. Um, he sees Guy and calls him brother. He introduces himself as Hyperial Blue. He uses. He tells us that his race is about to mount an assault on the uh, on your home, and his brothers, red and green, are looking for their sister. Uh, the mother will eat the world. Once all the world, uh, all the people are assimilated into the fold, combat begins. Um, and uh, as we defeat Hyperial Blue, and I think that's really underselling how much Orlando disrupted this last encounter. Um, so, fucked him up. Mm-hmm. Oh, did I? Whole person is too strong, man. Look. Take it up with Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chris Perkins, I have words for you. So yeah, the uh, the big climactic encounter uh, to this point um, came down to Zach, uh, Orlando casting hold person, him failing his save, and then continuing to fail his save while you guys chipped him down to nothing. Um, at that point, Guy gets dragged through the portal. And a very tense moment begins to happen, and a countdown begins, and our party's faced with a choice. Can you guys talk about what happened, what you were thinking? Alex, your reaction, and then I'll give you the third-party reaction. Uh, My reaction was, holy shit, what the fuck is happening right now? And you can literally hear the panic in my voice as the the closing moments happen, because I just didn't know what the hell was happening. That's true. <laughs> Next thing I know, Zach's saying, I'm going through the portal. <laughs> We're talking about dragging Hyperion Blue's head through the portal. Then Tony's gone, and then it's just me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was horrifying. So the Zach, entire party jumps through a interdimensional question mark portal alex was that what you had planned um i like to give choices um i had two things planned one was them jumping through the portal and second was a like tense chase sequence where they're going running through the 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 stone forest um via final fantasy 9 there's a part where zidane vv chris's garnett and blank are running through this forest full of like stone like in the forces slowly not slowly quickly being petrified um that's my inspiration for it um but it was supposed to be like a hey we're dodging out of like creatures jumping out at them and like stuff like that and they would have learned more about like like with glimpses and perception checks and all this kind of stuff more about how these creatures work but uh now they jump through the portal which is perfectly okay i understand it was a tense moment but they did have an option out and i understand that i built it up to be like this is scary go through the portal but again i wanted to make it a tense situation and them to know about the and you did yeah you did having a real timer definitely helped pump up the tension (laughs) dm trick yeah i dm pro tips it, it felt like they were making the right call, but at the same time, it also kind of felt like, um, you know, one of the guys I used to play with back in the day um, played a bard, and it was a given 
that in any situation, after about five minutes of trying to solve any puzzle or situation, George would just go, screw it, I'm just going to open oh, the chest. Ahead. And it was, it kind of felt like one of those moments as well. It's like, oh my God, there goes the trap. Um, mm -hmm. And again, I don't know that it was to rescue Guy because you guys don't have a ton of love for Guy Gibraltar off the off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, I think it was just the mass confusion of it all. And um, not knowing what else to do other than there's a portal. Go through it. Zach, Tony, do you have any input on this? Yeah, we were between a rock and a hard place, and it was either turn around, fight a bunch of fucking statues that were turning into real creatures, or go through the portal and take our chance on the other side. So I went with the unknown. Into I would like unknown. to think that if... I were presented with this option in my life. I would go through the portal. Would you? If I were walking through the forest, Alex, okay. <laughs> Just for the record, if I were yeah. walking through a forest one day and like someone just appeared through a magical portal and mm -hmm. said, we're having medieval warfare on this side. You want to be a wizard? You guys would never see me again. That's true. <laughs> never. Well, good good news for you. There's called uh, things called acid, which basically makes you into a wizard. So <laughs> I'm more of a natural substance kind of guy. Oh, okay. But uh, <clears throat> like, it, it could be anything on the other side. What if it's anyway. steampunk? Um, yeah, I, be if all I had it. to. Just, if I had to decide between having student loans or living in a steampunk world, <laughs> I would take the student loans because here's the thing. Oh. My running canon in my head is that they listen to primarily ska in steampunk worlds. What? A lot of tubas. That I makes agree. a lot of damn sense. Would you sense. not? No, right? it doesn't. No, yes, it would it be does. a lot of no. brass. It would be no, a lot of. Horns. It might be a lot of brass music, but it's not going to be. Kind of feels like it, I think I. No. I really do got to give that. I think he's onto something. That ska and no. being really hoity-toity. I'm about sorry. Porn. We'll call it steam ska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you guys. Yeah, you guys are way off. Hey, I love Real Big Fish. I love Streetlight Manifesto. I love other bands. <laughs> With ska music, uh, less than Jake is it that one. I don't know. Yes, that ska is ska is okay as a cover, and that is it. Anyway, I I can't hash this out again, you guys. I cannot hash this out again. And that pretty much ends season one of Friends and Flares, a long winding journey uh, that uh, where we, you lost a <laughs> druid and a sorcerer along the way. Uh, Emphasis on winding. Uh, managed to. Yes. Um, escort a stardust small girl on her way to community college um get your original <laughs> job done point. and got a um a man who might be a clone from point a to point b um saved a small town from ecological disaster um and frightened a few children um competed in contests semi-successfully um arranged for uh what what is hopefully the beginning of a beautiful marriage but it's definitely the end of a 
less than pleasant uh, brotherly relationship. Um, and to the end of a family and left the plane of existence. Um, so not bad in a, in an overall arc. Man, when you put it that way, it actually sounds like we did shit. <laughs> we, um, Joel, let me just clarify. We have done a lot of things. It's the question is how much of it was helpful and productive. <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's true. Uh, you guys, you guys want to know what would happen? What would happen if you stayed? Yes. Sure. All right. So the fold basically was um, slowly creeping in on the the festival. the The rest of the comet would have came down, but it would have came down on the town um, during like the the award ceremony. And like chaos would have ensued. Um, you guys would have done more more things. You guys would have burnt down the, <laughs> the circus and de- tied a bunch of little loops up. You would have met a bard that would have told you the the story about the heroes three. Um, you would have met like a couple other people, but basically, like the the whole thing was the the comet comes down and mass chaos. The effigies were being burnt, so they would summon the bodies of the um, stone goblins. Uh, to the portal. The reason why those effigies that you guys burnt um, down in like like episode two uh, actually summoned goblin bodies into the lake and then the, the sea creatures killed them. So you guys were pretty close to figuring out that part. That's why you guys found those three bodies because you guys summoned three of them because you burnt three of them out of the four um effigies that, that that matt bought sorry flan so uh that was the transportation the catalyst was them through burning because everyone was going to burn the all the effigies at one point that was the, like the portal in the middle was fixed because of that yeah so so um, the festival would have been like a mass summoning of goblins mm-hmm. which they weren't g- technically goblins the reason why they used goblins is um well, the folds because you guys you guys basically skipped the entire invasion war. So, <laughs> spoilers: uh, the goblins are the only ones that were prepared for the fight, and the fold knew that. So they were trying to make it a shadow war and just have you guys attack the goblins to make it look like the goblins were attacking the festival. So you get like the armies of the world would team up and fate fight the the goblin hold. Um, that Grengroth has been building for the last 150 years. So, uh, yeah. Did I not say that portal was an invasion? Fine. Tony yes, called it every single time. Tony would say it. I was like that. My man, so, my man's catching on. So really jumping through the portal was the best thing we could have done. We didn't stop the goblins. We didn't, um, seems like we made the right decision. Well, yeah, ultimately, I mean, as it turns skins. out, ultimately, as it turns out, the fold defeats the goblins because we'll find out in season two what that looks like. Season two um, starts out with you guys being different characters. Yes, and joining us yeah. in season two will be our host Turner. Yeah, <laughs> he's our uh, new player for season two. <laughs> you guys want to talk a little bit about your guys's uh, new characters? Sure. The, the guild oh, no. characters or the guy I play yes. in the episodes? No. Okay. 
Let's talk about guild characters. characters since the old is going to be put okay. Um, yeah, sure. I'll go first. I play uh, Titan, uh, who is a mastermind rogue, uh, who is operating as the uh, guild treasurer for our guild startup. Um, Titan has somewhat of a shady background. Um, but uh, what he went through in his childhood taught him that uh, no matter how good you are at working outside the system, it's far better to manipulate it uh, than it is to work against it. So he uh, he set out to uh, selfishly put together a group of, of uh, cohorts to manipulate the system so he can get as fabulously wealthy as he possibly can. Um, he's kind of a dick, but he's very loyal to his group as they uh, manage to uh fulfill his means all right tony do you want to go next uh sure so i will be pay, playing uh kegelor kegelor i need to remember that your name's the hardest to pronounce a well a shepherd druid who's uh also a furbolg um his tribe was uh wiped out in a flood and he was the only survivor washed down river and was raised by wood elves so they actually gave him a wood elf name uh Karik floodwater Karik. um okay yeah uh, so I, I can use those interchangeably or no uh so that's what he likes to use if he has to go to town for anything okay um but then um yeah so he just you know he's going to be the uh stable master for the guild um he's very he's going to i'm going to try to play him as a very logical person uh also very he's gonna I'm, i kind of built him in the vein of of wharf from star trek so hopefully that will come through if not oh well um <laughs> and then uh yeah he's just he's tries to stay away from civilization as much as possible but realizes that with times being as they are that's not always the case okay now joel do you want to explain your character? My character is named Davlin Brybar. <clears throat> he is a gnome artificer, and he is going to be basically the Q of our guild. He's going to be making magically infused weapons for everybody and uh, develop other interesting uh methods of death throughout um yeah i don't really have much written about him other than he's a, he's a gnome and he's kind of bookish and he likes tinkering and coming up with things and yeah that's about it really he's the he's the head of r&d right Pretty yes he's head of research and development i kind of i hinted at that but i didn't come out and say it i'm sorry i'm sorry if i ruined anything for you no, I, I didn't know if we were actually talking about our positions or not. I guess everybody else did, so yeah. my bad. Now, Zachar, what what are what are you playing today? Or not today, but um I was gonna say we're gonna we got like a three hour session after this, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I gotta go to bed. Um I am playing Vanic Icehoof. I am a Minotaur sorcerer, mm -hmm. former sea captain. Uh, I've got white fur. Um, okay. Actually, that's not scale. That's not true. They're scales. Uh, I got like white. I'm a minotaur with like white scales in certain parts because I'm a draconic sorcerer. 
Okay. Uh, former sea captain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am in charge of marketing and recruitment. And the way that I plan on doing that is by going into the community, uh, you know, going into the schools, talking mm-hmm. to people, going into uh, the churches, just going out there, helping the people, letting them know if they need anything, that our guild that we don't currently have a name for is going to be willing to help. Cool. We should go over that, by the way. Just a note. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, the premise of this uh, this campaign, this mini campaign, is basically to show what life is like during the fold. Um, what's the word? Occupation. I'm for? Occupation. That's the exact word I was looking for. Um, so you're going to learn a little bit more about their culture, about um, the comings and goings, because you guys lost the war. Um, as far as your characters know, you guys are going to be in the city of Neptune, which is the capital of the capital. Um, it's where the Academy is for the wizards and the war Academy. Um, but basically you guys are going to have to deal with bureaucracy and, um, a a new reign of power. It's been, I think I've decided it's going to be nine years in the future. So you guys have basically the city of Neptune has been taken over for five. So the war, the first invasion was about 10 years ago or not 10 nine years ago, but the city of Neptune finally got taken over about five years ago. So it was like a four-year war, four war. Nice. Cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. Which we recorded the first episode of the guild stuff by going over a guild charter, which is fun, um, <laughs> which I still need to send audio to people uh, for that, but uh, we'll get to that later. Um, but other than that, uh, do you guys have any questions about the, the campaign? No, but I do want to uh, point out one Easter egg. Mm-hmm. The character Dobbins <laughs> oh. was from a, a pre-stream campaign that we were playing. Mm-hmm. And I, it just made me really happy that he made it into our podcast world. <laughs> yes, he was my favorite character to play in the the first campaign we did together that I, I wanted to bring him uh, bring him back full power. Uh, Dobbins. He's a crazy maniac, and I love him. Thank you for listening, not just to this episode, but for all our previous episodes as well. We're really excited to show what we've been working on for Season 2, and it's right around the corner. So thank you again, and stay tuned.